All right, all right, all right. Well, good morning, y'all. It's lively in here. It's awesome. It's kind of fun to be on the stage sometimes, too. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I'm excited this morning. Uh, like Joe said, my name is Marshall. I've been serving on staff here. This is my fifth school year doing college ministry, and I love college ministry. I love college students. Our students here are awesome. Um, several of them were singing this morning. I've had like a hidden, this is not like a ministry goal on the forefront, but on the back burner, I've always wanted to have like a college takeover Sunday because we've always had so many musicians and worship leaders to get the whole band as college students one day and me preach would be awesome. So we're, we're close this morning. We were like halfway there. Um, but it's just a joy to get to be preaching to you guys this morning. Um, me and my wife moved here in 2015, right after college, when we first got married. So we've spent our whole adult lives in Dallas at this church. And this place is absolutely 100% family. Uh, we didn't want to move to Dallas, actually. We grew up in Fort Worth. And so Dallas was definitely the dark side that we didn't want to come to. Uh, actually, this morning, we were doing these little conversation cards on our drive up, because we live in Cedar Hill right now, so we got a drive to kill with, with toddlers. And one of the questions was like, what's your favorite thing about your hometown? Which for us is forward is like, it's so laid back. It's so casual. Dallas is too busy. Um, but we've loved living in Dallas because of this church, like because of the people here. Like, it doesn't matter what city we're in. Like, if, if we get to like live in the kingdom of God with awesome companions, like we're, we're good. And that's, that's what we found here. So I hope that you are finding that at this church because it, it has been just such a blessing to us. I've never, fun fact, I've never had to do the, I don't even know if it's church hopping or is it church shopping, whatever that, like I've never had to do that. Like, isn't that amazing? Like on a lot of people, you at some point in your life, like you move to a new city or something and you're looking for a place and you have to go try out churches, which sounds really hard. I've never had to do that. I'm so thankful. I've been a part of three churches in my life. Uh, I got saved when I was 17. So a little bit of backstory about me. I didn't grow up in the church at all. In fact, I grew up in the Bible Belt in Fort Worth, but I was like, I had no grid for Jesus. Like I, I'd heard of Jesus, but like on par with like a fairy tale was like the Bible stories to me. It's like just not real. I don't think I ever heard my parents say the name of Jesus or God like ever. Um, I, one, one time, my brother, this was at a dinner. This is at uh, El Phoenix in Fort Worth. I was probably in like, I was probably like 12 or something. I don't even know. One, my brother randomly said, I don't think I believe in God. And my mom was like, oh, Travis, how could you say that? And I was like, do we believe in God? <laughs> I didn't, he's my older brother. I was the young one. I didn't say anything, but I was like really confused by her reaction. Because I was like, I've never heard you talk about God. Do we believe in God? I don't think I believe in God. Or I guess I shouldn't say that. But like, that was how I grew up. It was just like, we didn't talk about God. It, like there was no spiritual realm, none of that. Um, and so I got saved at 17 because I had a lot of awesome Christian friends and their parents and their church who just absolutely loved on me when I was probably really difficult to love, super broken as a senior in high school, so angry and bitter and desperate and just so jaded, um, frustrated with life and people. Uh, but I had some awesome friends who loved on me, who brought me into friendship with them first and foremost, brought me into their homes, their parents loved on me. Eventually, that was what opened me up to maybe going to their church was I wasn't really interested in God, but I was searching for meaning in life. I was searching for purpose. And there was something about my friends that I saw in them that there was just something so different about them in their lives and I wanted that. And I believe that was the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus. And I got saved in that church as a 17-year-old. And um, 
And then I went off to college, but I had friends from that youth group who were already there. So I jumped right into a church there. My wife went to A&M. And so she got involved at Antioch there. So we came to Dallas and got involved at Antioch. So I've just never had to, I just always, like my entire life with Jesus, I've just been blessed with like, just right on a silver platter, like the family of God in the church. And so I'm really thankful. That's just like defined my story with Jesus as being a part of his family. And so I love getting to talk about the Holy Spirit though, because in that church I got saved in, there's so many things, that's where I met my wife. Um, there's so many things that were foundational to our discipleship to Jesus in that church that we still draw on today. And the Holy Spirit was present and moving in that church, but they didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit. So even the Holy Spirit was pretty new to me as a new believer, the Bible was new to me. But then even in my early years of walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit was so foreign and unknown. Um, and I think that's probably where a lot of us are coming from sitting in this room. Either the Holy Spirit was maybe just kind of unknown and not talked about, um, or you've come from a place where maybe he was exploited and misrepresented, and there was a lot of pain surrounding the Holy Spirit. So I discovered the Holy Spirit in college, primarily just from reading my Bible. I just read, I, I love the Word of God. I read the Bible a lot. And the more I read the Bible, I could not escape the significance of this Holy Spirit. I was like, who is this Holy Spirit? Why are people not talking about him? The only thing I know is I guess I got him when I got saved and the college ministry I was at didn't like the other college ministry in town because they love to talk about the Holy Spirit. And they were like, no, we don't, they're weird. We're not about that. And tongues and things like not having it there. But those are my roommates and some of my best friends. So I was like, kind of feel like in the middle where I was like a leader over here, but I'm like, hey, we should, we should be unified as a church. And I, I read about their Holy Spirit in the Bible. Like there's something there. And so I was like, so it was kind of through that experience of I was reading them in the scriptures, but then I was getting exposed to other uh, backgrounds in Christianity, other people from other churches and traditions. And I was like, there is something that we're missing when I read about the Bible, but my life doesn't look like it. And theirs does. And I think the Holy Spirit's a part of that. So when I'm up here preaching about the Holy Spirit, I, I definitely am not up here because I know it all. N not at all. Like, there's a lot for me to still learn. However, I've spent a lot of years studying the Holy Spirit. What you're going to hear today is just years of, of studying. And more than anything, as I've grown to know the Holy Spirit, one, I've realized I think all of us know him a lot more than we think we do. I would be willing to bet each of you know the Holy Spirit way better than you realize you do. You just, you just don't know it's him, maybe. There's certain sides of him, certain sides of your experience with the Lord that you don't realize that is the Holy Spirit given to you. Um, but also, the more that I've learned about him, the, the prayer of my heart for a Sunday like this has been just the prayer that has been so common in my life of just, I wanna be a good friend of you, Holy Spirit. Like when I'm up here preaching, it's just another part of me wanting to be a good companion of the Holy Spirit. I want him to feel like he can do life with me. He can trust me. Um, and, and more than just for ministry as a pastor, but no, as, as just a person, as a friend, I want that type of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So I love what, what Jesus says in John 7. John 7, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, if any of you are thirsty... So if right now you are thirsty for more of life, for more of God, more of experiencing God in your life, he says, whoever believes in me, Jesus, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive because up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, my hope is to demystify some things so that you can experience the rivers of living water that are flowing from within you. 
not some experience of God that's like far, hard to reach, escaping your grasp, not some like dangerous rivers to be avoided that are harmful. No, rivers of living water, life welling up from within you that God generously is poured into you by his Holy Spirit. So that's our hope. Um, we've been in this Ephesians series. You've heard about God the Father, God the Son. So in talking about the Holy Spirit, we're gonna be in Ephesians again unpacking just this vision that we have for this year. When Jesus prayed in John 17 that we as a church would be made one with God, one with one another, so that the world would know who Jesus is. And we feel like Ephesians just really unpacks that prayer from John 17. Um, But as we're reading through this, what we're gonna tackle today is three things. This isn't gonna be a comprehensive talk on the Holy Spirit. That would take like years, and I don't have all to give there. Uh, So I'd be unqualified to preach that. Um, But I do wanna basically give you kind of three things today. Number one is who is the Holy Spirit? First of all, who is he? Number two, what does it mean to be sealed for salvation? And then number three, who is the spirit of wisdom and revelation? What is Paul praying here in Ephesians chapter one? So that's where we're going today. Um, so let's, let's open up to Ephesians one. As you turn there, if you, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab. These Bibles are in the little trays under the, the chair. So you're welcome to grab one of these and use it. If you don't have a Bible at all, you can take this as a gift to you. You can have one of these Bibles, they're free. But if you're in one of these Bibles, it's page 946 where we start. So as you're turning there, I'm just gonna pray. I'm just gonna pray that prayer of Paul, Ephesians 1. We just ask, Holy Spirit, right now that you would come and you would open our eyes. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you help us to know you better, to know God the Father, to know the Son, and to know the Holy Spirit? Would you open the eyes of our hearts? Holy Spirit, you don't even need me. As we read your word right now, I believe you're gonna open eyes to see the truth of the gospel in a new way. So river, would you flow? Would you flow in each of us, Lord? Amen, amen. All right, Ephesians 1, we're gonna read the whole chapter just to set the stage. So let's just read along with me. And as I read this, I just encourage you, just to be sensitive right now, the Holy Spirit might wanna highlight something for you and you just need to slow down and and, and meditate on that verse. You just need to stay there and I'm gonna keep on preaching, but permission for you to stay there with the Holy Spirit in this passage. So Ephesians chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, 
were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you this spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen, amen, amen. This is so good. We could spend the rest of the year in Ephesians 1. Um, There's a lot in there. You see that first half of Ephesians 1 that Donnie and Job have been preaching in these past couple weeks? We see a heavenly father who before the world was even created, he chose you. And he predetermined to love you. That's another way to think about pre, uh, predestination is God already predetermined to love you. Before you even get to thinking about yourself, think about that aspect of God. He predetermined to bless you, to love you, and to lavish you with grace and his peace, to make you a child through his only beloved son, Jesus. And we see what Joe talked about, the significance of that new identity, what it means to be in Christ, that we're fully forgiven, We are fully redeemed by his death and his blood shed for our sins. And now you have been made holy and righteous as you have been raised to eternal life in Jesus's resurrection and seated with Christ in heaven with the fullness of every blessing in the heavenly realms as our inheritance as God's children. So you see the Holy Spirit then is mentioned as the assurance of everything that Paul just lined out and who God is, what he's done, what that means for you. If we miss the Holy Spirit, we're, we're incomplete there. The Holy Spirit, he says, has been given as a seal of your salvation. He's the assurance of not just what you've been saved from, from sin and death and destruction. The Holy Spirit's an assurance of what you've been saved for, for the riches of heaven, right? That everything that God has has been lavished on you. You've been saved for something, not just from something. And the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing that inheritance. He's guaranteeing that blessing, right? And so before we unpack that more, let's talk about first and foremost, who is this Holy Spirit, right? Before we even get to the fact of what it means to be sealed for salvation, or the fact that Paul didn't just think you needed to know that, he needed to pray that for the church. Like, we can't just know about it. We need to know it intimately. Let's get to know this Holy Spirit. So, Who is the Holy Spirit? I've got some awesome slides for you. I'm not a PowerPoint dude, but I thought this was good stuff. So I hope this is helpful for you. Um, I'd rather just get up here and talk, but I don't think anybody, my life's made that clear. Nobody would want that. So got some slides. I hope that would be helpful for you. Um, I'm an auditory listener, so I just kind of go and listen. But um, so who is the Holy Spirit? First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is God, okay? 
If we have to start there. The Holy Spirit is 100% absolutely God, just as much as God the Father or God the Son. He is just as much God. We see that in Scripture from beginning to end that the Holy Spirit with God the Father and God the Son make up God. One, one God in essence, but three in person. And when we neglect the Holy Spirit, when we say we're uncomfortable, we don't talk about him, we're gonna be God the Father, God the Son, God the Bible, but if you're going after the Holy Spirit, you're getting away from God, you're getting away from Jesus, that is absolutely blasphemy, and you are stiff-arming God himself. The Holy Spirit is 100% just as much God. He's not a lesser version of God than Jesus. He's not a lesser version or a weaker or incomplete. He's not like just kind of one facet of God compared to the Father. He's 100% God, just as much with the Father and the Son. And with that, the Holy Spirit is a person, not some weird mystical force. He is a person. You see in John 14 through 16, if you wanna know the Holy Spirit, this is what Jesus says about him. Go read those three chapters. But in Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, he uses the personal pronouns, he and him, 19 times in those chapters. The Holy Spirit is never referred to as an it in scripture because he's a he, he's a person, right? We're gonna, we're gonna come more on that in a little bit. Some other titles that ways you've probably experienced the Holy Spirit, other ways that he is described is as the helper and the comforter, that he is the convictor of sin. He is the sanctifier, making you holy. He is your guide and counselor. If you want wisdom and counsel, he is the one who is teaching you. He is the spirit of truth. If you wanna know a truth in the world, you look in the spirit. He's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He is the empowerer and the gift giver. He is the presence of Jesus in the here and now. When Jesus says he's gonna be with us, it's by the Holy Spirit. He's the sealer who marks us for total salvation and guarantees that inheritance to come. And he is the one who glorifies Jesus the most. The Holy Spirit is the glorifier of Jesus. He lives to glorify Jesus and glorify the Father. So that's who the Holy Spirit is, but it's just as much important to know who is the Holy Spirit not. And this is where I find that a lot of times we maybe haven't said these things, but there are ways that we've kind of thought about the Holy Spirit or often ways we've kind of heard him portrayed. And it's just as important to know who the Holy Spirit is not or what he is not. So the Holy Spirit is not some kind of mystical, impersonal fog. He is not some source of luck or karma, just some unwritten rule making things better or enforcing a law. He is not harmless. He's not the Casper the Friendly Ghost. Read Acts 5, you'll see he's really not harmless. Um, he is not a spirit of fear. He's not an evil spirit and he doesn't produce fear. That's not from the Holy Spirit. He is not a power just to be used for your own selfish gain. He's not just to give you spiritual gifts so that you can go do cool things. And he's not just reserved for super Christians or a select few. Let's stop there for a second. He is not just for super Christians, not just for a select few. He is for every single Christian. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. And uh, I love this saying, there's no junior Holy Spirit. Do you realize the most powerful Holy Spirit that walks on the face of the earth is in the kids' ministry right now and some four-year-olds and five-year-olds if they've given their life to Jesus? It's the same Holy Spirit that's in them as in us. It's the same Holy Spirit that's in the coolest pastor you could think of that's probably not one of us because we're not that cool. Um, it's, not, it's not a different Holy Spirit. It's the same full Holy Spirit for every single believer. He is for you. And he's also not extra or optional. There's a lot of churches that like to think that. And there's a lot of churches that love to stop at Matthew 28 as though Matthew 28 was Jesus' last words. They're not. 
Okay, the Great Commission is one of Jesus' farewell addresses, but they're not his last words. We see in the beginning of Acts, after Jesus just said, go make disciples of all the nations, he then said, but don't go yet. Wait, there's more. Go make disciples, but actually wait. Wait and pray for the promise of the Father. For not many days from now, you will be clothed with power from on high when you receive the Holy Spirit and you are baptized in the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. And then Jesus literally ascended into heaven before the disciples' eyes. His last words was that the church can't make disciples. The church can't fulfill the Great Commission without this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not an external, extra kind of additional add-on. You can just go make disciples and follow Jesus and you can read your Bible and you're good. You don't really need the Holy Spirit. A church without the Holy Spirit is a dead church. It's a lifeless church. It is a powerless church. It is a hopeless church. The Holy Spirit is absolutely 100% necessary and something Jesus made a big deal about in his last words. I go so far even to say the Holy Spirit is the only person of the Trinity currently on earth. So yes, God is omnipresent. So yes, he's everywhere. So no trump card there. Yeah, God is everywhere. And even in our prayer in Ephesians 3 that we read, Jesus dwells in your heart through faith. But in a very literal sense, scripture is very clear that God is on his throne in the heavens. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And the Holy Spirit is the presence and is the power of God here on earth. When you read the book of Acts, even though it's Acts of the Apostles, it's really Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts. He's the main character of the church, living out who Jesus called the church to be. And the main storyline in the book of Acts is the word of God continued to spread. Next time you read Acts, you pay close attention to the Holy Spirit and the message of the word of God spreading. And you'll see that's the main storyline, that the church without the Holy Spirit is, is hopeless, it's empty. The Holy Spirit, when God is with you always right now, when Jesus says, as you go, my power and my presence, my authority is on you, it's by the Holy Spirit. Functionally, when we are made one with God, it's because he's put his Holy Spirit in us. Right now, the Holy Spirit is just as real and present, if not more present than the person sitting next to you. He is with you right now. He is the presence of God here on earth. So the Holy Spirit, though, here's where I think it's confusing, is we have natural examples of a heavenly, or sorry, an earthly father or an earthly son so we can kind of more easily make sense of like God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus Christ. But the Spirit is a spiritual being. We don't have great examples in the natural of what the Holy Spirit's like. And we see that the Holy Spirit moves and manifests in so many different ways. So here are some of the ways the Holy Spirit is described. But it's important to know that this isn't what he literally is. These are just ways that kind of he's depicted and described to help us get to know what he's like. So in Scripture, we see the Holy Spirit described as a dove as he descends on Jesus at his baptism. We see, fun fact there, Jesus didn't do any miracles until he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, by the way. So that's just a fun little fact. We don't have time to go into that. But Jesus performed miracles by the finger of God, which is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus in his humanity just as much needed the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's the same Holy Spirit he gave on us when he said, you're gonna do greater works than me because I'm going to the Father. I'm gonna give you a helper. You're gonna do greater works. We can't do greater works without the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to do his works. Like that's how, that's the magnitude of the Holy Spirit. So anyways, that's a side note, but... There's a lot of those when I preach. Um, so he's described as fire. We see him described as wind and as breath. All throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is the same word used for wind or breath. So almost every imagery in the, whole, in the Old Testament about wind or breath is actually meant to portray to you who the Holy Spirit is. 
Um, he's described as water in the scriptures. We see him as oil or anointing. We see him as the finger of God by which Jesus performed miracles. Uh, he's described as wine. And he's described as we read this seal or this deposit guaranteeing our salvation. So the Holy Spirit is like that, but he is not an it, he is a person. So as a person, it's important we get to know what he's like so that we can have a relationship with him. And as I read this list of the Holy Spirit as a person, I, we just have to remember, because I, I catch myself doing this sometimes, that we're not relegating the Holy Spirit to be like a human. Remember, we're made in the image of God. So every bit of humanity that we're familiar with, we have that because God has eyes and ears and he speaks and he relates and he has emotions. So when we read this list, remember, we are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of the spirit. He's not made to be like us. So first and foremost, the Holy Spirit, God himself as a person has a mind, has thoughts of his own. He has his own will. The Holy Spirit loves. He has his own character fruits, which we're familiar with, but they're describing his character we're trying to be like. The Holy Spirit literally speaks. He literally told, uh, this is, uh, I think, Philip here, go, go down over there. Like, he literally spoke to him. He speaks a lot. He can be lied to. The Holy Spirit can be resisted, just as you can resist a person. The Holy Spirit has emotions. We see a few of them in Scripture that the Holy Spirit can be saddened. The Holy Spirit is full of joy at times. And the Holy Spirit can be outraged we can actually cause these emotions in the Holy Spirit in relationship with them. Now, the good thing is the Holy Spirit's way more forgiving than us, so he's not some kind of emotional teenager that is ruled by his emotions if he gets saddened or outraged, but in a holy sense, he actually feels things, but you'll find he's very forgiving, uh, so I hope that doesn't produce any fear in you. So that leads us to, importantly, how do we relate with the Holy Spirit? As a person, you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit just as much as you have a relationship with Jesus or your heavenly Father. And we see in Scripture a few ways that we're to relate with the Holy Spirit. Number one, we're to be led by the Holy Spirit. He is the Lord and the leader of your life, not you, if you belong to Jesus. Number two, you're to walk in fellowship with him. You can have a real, actual friendship with the Holy Spirit. We're called to be continuously filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, we are to honor the Holy Spirit, never grieving or quenching him. He is worthy of just as much honor as the Father and as the Son. So what does it mean to be sealed for salvation? As Paul says, okay, this is who the Holy Spirit is, and it's by this Holy Spirit you've been sealed for salvation. So what does that mean? When you believe in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, at that very moment, you are saved by grace through faith, and the Holy Spirit seals you. He seals you for that salvation. He comes into your life, and he's the down payment guaranteeing not only what you've been saved from, like I said, but the fullness of what you've been saved for. The Holy Spirit is what accomplishes that. We see Jesus paid for your sin by dying on the cross. And he accomplished your eternal life and his resurrection from the grave. So when Jesus died as a sacrifice and he rose from the dead, think of it as though you literally died with him. You were buried with him in baptism and you were raised to walk in newness of life. That's where that language comes from. You have received the death and resurrection of Jesus. Why? so that when the blood of Jesus is spilled for you and my sin, we can be cleansed, we can be forgiven, we can be washed and made holy so that the presence of a holy God that can't intermingle with sin can come into your life. 
so that you can be made holy and God can be made one with you because now the blood of Jesus has dealt with the issue of your sin. So that when God sees you, he sees you through the lens of the blood of Jesus. It's only the blood of Jesus that makes you worthy as a vessel or a temple of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. It's by the holiness of the Holy Spirit that you can be in the presence of a holy God. More likely, the holy God can come into your life, right? Joe said we have two locations in Christ. We have two citizenships. You're a citizen of heaven and of earth. You, you geographically are seated with Christ in heaven, but also you're on earth, in your body, in the flesh, but now the Holy Spirit, you've been made one with God, not as though you're just in God in heaven, but God is in you. And the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing that one day we're all gonna leave behind this body of the flesh that is temporary and we will only be fully with God in the spiritual. We'll have spiritual bodies. So we're gonna leave behind this flesh and the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing that right now and for eternity. When you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit 100%. He is what accomplishes that. And guess what? That also means that when you sin now, you're not gonna lose the Holy Spirit because you're not the one who brought the Holy Spirit into your life. You're not the one who made you holy enough to keep the Holy Spirit. So even when you sin now, it's already been dealt with. The slate is wiped permanently clean by the blood of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is always with you. He's not gonna leave you. You are sealed fully and guaranteed. And that word seal, there's like too many implications. I couldn't just hone in on one. Like the word sealed, there's so many implications to that word and what that means about you. God's imprint on you makes you fully fully secure in your salvation. God is the one that is making you fully authenticated in your salvation. You are 100% owned by God and belong to him. It's his full authority that's on your life. He is the one that is protecting you. He is the one that is preserving you in your salvation. He is the one that is certifying and validating that you are the real deal. So anytime you feel less than, anytime you feel like you are not measuring up, that is 100% the world and the flesh in your old life. And it's the Holy Spirit that is saying, no, you are enough. You are the real deal. As a Christian, it's not based on your performance. It's by me in your life. And I'm guaranteeing that, yes, you are saved. And I'm the one that's accomplishing that for you because God chose you. He loved you. He sent his son for you so that you didn't have to send your way to God. You didn't have to send his Holy Seal by your performance. Therefore, you're not staying there either by your performance. It's by the Holy Spirit that you are 100% saved by the power and the ownership and the love of God. And that is good news. So if you're questioning right now, let me guarantee you, by the Holy Spirit, you are saved and sealed for eternity. So that brings up another big question then that Joe talked a little bit about, um, or a lot more than I'm gonna talk about in Acts 19. So if you have the Holy Spirit fully, and Paul clearly says that in Ephesians 1, why in Ephesians 5, in a few chapters later, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. And how many know if you get drunk, you can get more drunk in one sitting. Like you can keep drinking wine. You can get more and more drunk. Or the next day, you can get drunk again and again. Why is Paul saying in the same way with the Holy Spirit to be more and more filled in quantity and in quality if you already have the Holy Spirit? right? Why, why is that? Well, he's talking about exactly what Jesus talked about. And there's a difference in the Holy Spirit being in you and the Holy Spirit coming upon you, right? So the Holy Spirit comes in you. And that's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter three, when he's talking with Nicodemus about to even see the kingdom of God, to even enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again of the Spirit, 
right? What I just described in your salvation version of how your sin has been paid for, you've been made holy, the Holy Spirit comes into your life in salvation and you've been made a temple of God. You have been born again, right, of the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference of what talks about, I'm looking for my notes over here. Um, There's a difference in what it means for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, right? And this is what Jesus also talked about in his disciples um, in Acts chapter one, that you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And there's three instances where the very same disciples receive the Holy Spirit, all right? This is an example of how this works. So in John chapter 20, after Jesus died and arose from the dead in the upper room, Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he talks about forgiveness of sins, right? In that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit came into them. They were sealed for salvation by the resurrected Jesus, who now in his resurrection holds the keys of death and Hades, who has full authority over their sin and over death. He's defeated death. Now this glorified resurrected Jesus is able to, um, to pour out the Holy Spirit for people to be born again. They've now been raised to life with him. And so this is a direct callback to Genesis chapter two. When Jesus breathes on his disciples and he breathes new life into them to be born again, and he talks about forgiveness of sins, this is exactly what God did when he made humanity. It says when he formed Adam from the dust of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, right? It's the Holy Spirit that is giving life to Adam in creation, to us in creation, but also born again life to Jesus' disciples. And it's what was prophesied in Ezekiel 36, 37, the valley of dry bones, as God says, breathe into these dry bones and they will live. He talks about the new covenant that you and I are gonna be entered into, that we're gonna be born again, that God's gonna put his spirit on us. This is the fulfillment of that. Jesus breathing on his disciples, his disciples were born again. So his disciples have a, the Holy Spirit 100%, yet Jesus, after this, in Acts 1, after that upper room where he breathes on them, he says, stay and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. See, it's one thing for the Holy Spirit to be in you, to make you saved, to make you born again, to be sealed for salvation. It's another thing for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, to empower you to be a witness for Jesus, to empower you to be more like Jesus. So we see the exact same disciples in the exact same room, I believe, in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost came, even though they had just been born again, they had the Holy Spirit as Jesus breathed on them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them to empower them to be his witnesses. They're speaking in tongues and they're prophesying and they're preaching the gospel and people get saved. And two chapters later in Acts 4, the exact same disciples, I'm gonna guess in the upper room or some other room they were in, were praying for boldness. And it says the Holy Spirit filled them again and the whole room shook. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit again and they were given boldness to keep preaching the gospel, right? So what Paul's talking about here is every single Christian has the Holy Spirit and that's one experience for all, permanent. When you're saved, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and there's only one time when you're saved. There's only one time when the Holy Spirit makes you alive with God and you're born again. But there are several different experiences. You can be filled again and again or baptized or the Spirit come upon. It's all the same language. There's a lot of different ways to say it in the Bible. But there's many experiences the Holy Spirit can come upon you and you can get more and more of the Holy Spirit's power and his character and boldness and love. And that is not about your salvation. That's about you being able to be like Jesus. 
to do the things that he did, to be a witness, to serve other people, right? So just a point of clarity there, every single Christian has the Holy Spirit when you're saved, but there are other experiences where you can, the Holy Spirit can come upon you in greater and greater measures to make you more like Jesus, right? So we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up with this, but it's one thing for us to know all of this. It's one thing for us to know the gospel, to know about the Holy Spirit, to know about these spiritual blessings in heaven, but I love learning from Paul here and in that whole first half of Ephesians, as he is preaching these brilliant truths, you see that he felt not only compelled to preach it, he had to pray it. And this is where I find that so much of the church is lacking is that, man, we can read the Bible all day and there's all sorts of people that read the Bible or that approach God from an academic or a religious lens and are learning all kinds of things about what God might be like yet they have no real knowledge of who he is in relationship. They have no relationship with God. There's no experience with God. And it's because there's no Holy Spirit in their lives bringing them wisdom and revelation. You see, like I said, God isn't just concerned with us having right theology. He's, he doesn't just want us to know about him and think the right thoughts and have the right knowledge in our brain. He wants that knowledge to sink down deep and to actually transform who we are. You see, when Paul says to be transformed, as um, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We're not the ones renewing our mind. What we desperately need as Christians is what the Holy Spirit thinks about Jesus. We need what the Holy Spirit thinks about God. That's the type of spirit of wisdom and revelation that we need. When Paul prays here at the end of Ephesians in chapter one, he says in verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know him better. That you would know him better. That the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, the incomparably great power for us who believe, right? You see what he prays here, he wants us to know the hope that we've been called to. Not just know that there is a salvation, that there is God, that I guess I'm saved, but am I, can I really be sure? He doesn't just want us to know that level of hope. He wants us to know it deep inside of us. He wants to know the type of riches, and guess what, this inheritance is God's inheritance. Paul's changed here, not about our inheritance in heaven in verse uh, 18, he's talking about the riches of God's inheritance and his holy people. I tell you what, there's, there's no matter of human thinking that's gonna understand that, that God says he's rich to have you. God says he is rich, that you're that precious to him, that you are an inheritance, that we are an inheritance to God, that he is desperately eager to inherit us, his people, for us to be with him. That is only spirit of wisdom or revelation that's gonna make your heart really believe that God loves you that much, that you're that precious to him, right? And that it's the power that God raised Jesus from the dead with. That's the type of power that's available when you pray to God, when you're asking God to move in your life. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is the power that God acts with towards each one of us. And I know that on my own thinking, my prayer life doesn't reflect that. But as I press in, as I seek the Holy Spirit, as I ask the Holy Spirit to renew my mind, to help me, to know God, right? The Holy Spirit to lead me in my prayer life. As I pray this over and over and over again, what's gonna happen is it's gonna start to transform what I really think deep down. Not just, okay, the biblical answers I know in my head, but no, deep down I know this Father of glory. I know this Jesus. I see how good he is. I see how beautiful he is. As the Holy Spirit opens my eyes to see 
the brilliance of Jesus, right? What Jesus says is that eternal life isn't waiting for you in heaven. What Jesus prays in John 17, that eternal life is knowing him. And that's this Holy Spirit that Paul is praying to, the spirit of wisdom or revelation, that we would actually know God, not just know about him, that we would experience life right now, that your salvation isn't waiting for you in heaven, that there's an open door for you to fully know God, to fully experience him, to fully see him and comprehend what he's like, to know him just as intimately as I can grow in knowing my wife over the years, that Holy Spirit is leading you in your pursuit of God more than you are. In fact, what it says in Galatians 4 and in Romans 8, that we've received this spirit of adoption, Paul's talking about in verse five of Ephesians, he preaches on it again, he says that you've received a spirit of adoption. And guess what? It's by the Holy Spirit you cry, Abba, Father. I've read those verses so many times and thought, oh, great, okay, I have a heavenly father, I'm a son, I have a relationship with God, but you miss the pattern in those scriptures that it's actually the Holy Spirit that's crying out, Abba, Father. You realize the Holy Spirit in you is who's crying out to God. That the Holy Spirit is a better son or daughter than you are, and the Holy Spirit's actually testifying to you how to be a son, how to be a daughter of God. If you wanna grow in a relationship with your heavenly father, it's the Holy Spirit that's leading you into knowing your heavenly father. It's your Holy Spirit that's crying out for your father to come into your life, even more than you're crying out for him. I mean, we can't escape the magnitude of the Holy Spirit as the, I would say, the primary agent of your pursuit of God is the Holy Spirit leading you. Jesus says no one can even believe in me unless the Holy Spirit convicts him of sin. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, right? And so I just wanna encourage you with this as a band will come up. We're gonna end this way. I thought about a lot of ways to end this, but there's things that the Holy Spirit can do in an instant that he's gonna do this morning, and I believe that. Like, I, I, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would be a river of life that's gonna flow from within you, and that there's gonna be something he's gonna do in your life this morning, as I've been preaching, as we've been worshiping, as we're gonna worship and pray some more. But more than anything, that Ephesians 1 prayer is probably the prayer I've prayed the most. Like, the, one of the things that's edified my walk with God the most is just praying the scriptures. I pray the scriptures more than I pray my own prayers. And not that your own prayers are to be despised. The Psalms say, pour out your heart before God. He's eager to, to receive the prayers of your heart. But how many of you know God wants to answer the prayer that he authored? He wants to answer that prayer. He wants you to know him better. So I just wanna encourage you guys just to commit your life to praying Ephesians 1 for you, for your own uh, the eyes of your own heart to be enlightened to know Jesus, but to admit to praying that for our church this year. As we're sowing in and praying John 17 that we'd be one with God, we can't get to one with one another and that the world would know Jesus if we don't get right in being one with God. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit that has made us one with God and the Holy Spirit wants you to see that. He wants you to know that identity and what's available to you more than just a thought in your head, but he wants you to know it intimately right? The veil has been removed for us to meet with God face to face. So it's by the Holy Spirit we do that. So I just want to encourage you to stand now. Um, we're just going to respond. And I, I just believe the Holy Spirit, he's going to speak to you. Maybe you just need to read that Ephesians 1 again, and you don't even need to sing. You just need to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the truth of who God is, that you would believe the identity you have. Maybe you need to come forward for prayer. For our prayer and prophetic team, you can come up right now. Prayer and prophetic team is gonna be available here. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to receive prayer for something, if you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today's the day. There's nothing to hold you back from receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but receiving the fullness of salvation. If the Holy Spirit's leading you to do that, then do that today. Or if you just wanna worship, just encourage you to worship and ask the Holy Spirit 
to not just let this song be something that's coming off your lips, but it's coming out of your heart that would actually transform you. So I'm just gonna pray, Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? Rivers of living water, would you move? You are for each and every person here, Holy Spirit. There's nobody here that is not qualified to the fullness of God by the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you move in our hearts? Would you open our eyes to see you? Would you open our eyes to see Jesus and the Father who loves us? Would you lead us to experience life that is not out there, it's actually deep in here. It's not far from reach, but Holy Spirit, you've come close. You're in each of us and you have living water for us. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would move right now as we worship Jesus. Would you move in this place? Would you open the eyes of our hearts in Jesus' name? Amen.